This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. The woman spent the night at her boyfriend's house, not knowing he had murdered his wife and her body was still in the garage. This is Apple for the Teacher, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Anna Thomas. Today's episode is called Body in a Suitcase. The teacher's body had been in her garage for two months. What happened? Just a note before starting. Apple for the Teacher does not name perpetrators out of respect to the victims. It was in the year 2011 that a couple with two children lived in West Yorkshire, England. Marie was a special needs teacher and her husband was a music teacher. They had a daughter who was three years old and a baby son who was eight months old. They had met when they attended university together, but she was already married. However, the couple carried on the affair until she eventually left her husband. It was approaching Christmas and the family were making their Christmas preparations, but Marie wasn't there to celebrate with her husband and children. Her husband and parents received messages from her that left them totally shocked. She had met another man and was leaving her husband and children to be with him. Nobody saw this coming. Her family and friends were so distraught for her husband and especially the children. And for this to happen just before Christmas made it all the more heartbreaking. Marie's sister Katie described her as being a wonderful mother, saying, quote, The children were always at the forefront of her mind. They were her world. She was an absolutely wonderful mother, always doing things with the children and talking about them a lot. So the only possible explanation Katie had was that perhaps she had been suffering from postnatal depression, but that maybe she had hidden it from the family. The family held on to the hope that Marie would return, but after first missing Christmas, she also then missed her son's birthday. The longer that Marie was gone, the less hope that her husband had that she would return. He subsequently met another woman and they began a relationship. Her name was Angela. One night, Angela was at his house when there was a knock at the door. They were both surprised to see the police. They requested for him to accompany them to the police station regarding a missing person, and Angela was also required to go for questioning. Both he and Angela were taken to the police station while his house was searched, and it was then that a grisly scene was discovered in the garage. It was Marie and she was dead. She had been beaten, strangled and stabbed and then put into a suitcase and she remained in the garage of their family home for two months. The two children were in the house all that time. After interviewing the man, he subsequently fully confessed to killing Marie but claimed it was manslaughter, not murder. He also stated that Angela had nothing to do with the crime and she was released. So, what led the police to detain the man and search the house? Marie had not been a missing person. It was known by everyone that she had voluntarily left the family. 
from the text messages they had received from her. However, her family knew her all too well and a number of things just weren't adding up. Here is what Marie's sister said, quote, I couldn't believe she would leave a couple of days before Christmas. I left her a voicemail on Christmas Eve, begging her to come home for Christmas. She replied that she was just fine and wanted to be left alone and we were all getting worked up for nothing. But what the family didn't know was that her husband had used Marie's phone to send this message. By this time, she had been dead for about a week. So the family's suspicion grew and Katie decided to search the house and quite surprisingly found Marie's passport. She had stated that she had left the country, yet she clearly didn't take her passport. And Katie also noticed that in the days and weeks after Christmas, the family's Christmas tree still hadn't been taken down. She offered to take down the tree and store it back in the garage, where it was usually kept, but he refused a number of times. She thought she would just do it herself when he wasn't home, but found that the key to the garage was not in its usual place. Katie knew the family's house as she had looked after the children on a number of occasions. And of course, this all made perfect sense once the man's evil deed had been discovered. So with these suspicions, the police were called and the whole tragic truth was finally to come out. During the interrogation, he made a full confession, providing the following motive for murdering Marie. He claimed that their marriage had deteriorated since their son had been born and that they were having increasing marital problems. Marie was, in his words, rude and demeaning towards him and that therefore he sought comfort in other women. He had affairs with a number of women before that fateful day of the murder. He stated that they had had a row after he found her mistreating their daughter and he then finally snapped and killed her. While they were arguing, he said Marie started hitting him and he tried to subdue her by sitting on top of her, at which she spat in his face. He said it snowballed from there. Quote, it was like this nightmare. I just grabbed hold of her throat and started squeezing it. Everything happened so fast. It was just so weird. I just thought I've got to get this woman away from my daughter. After strangling her in their bedroom, he then wrapped her in a duvet and put her in a suitcase. He then dragged the case downstairs towards the garage. But he could hear her making noises, so he hit her on the head with a chair and then put a belt around her neck until she fell unconscious. He then wrapped her head in bubble wrap. Once in the garage, he heard her moaning again and then proceeded to stab her multiple times. He said, I just lost it. It was like it wasn't me. After their son was born, he slept on a sofa bed and she had even told him that she was seeing another man, which he said he wasn't bothered by. He also revealed that he had seen a number of women while still with Marie, even dating two teachers at the same time, and most disturbingly, he was also involved with one of his 15-year-old students. So, as seen, his current girlfriend Angela had been with him on the day the police discovered Marie's murder and just imagine her shock 
when she found out that she had been going to the house with Marie's body in the garage. They had first met when he came into the shop where she worked. Here she describes that first meeting. Quote, he was flirty from the start. I needed his phone number, so he wrote it down on a scrap piece of paper and slid it across the counter to me. He smiled and said, if you wanted my number, you should have just asked. She only needed his number for the transaction they were doing, but he clearly had other things on his mind. Then it was a few days later when he found her on Facebook and they started messaging each other. Quote, he told me he was a single parent of two young children and that their mother had gone off with another man. I was stunned that she could have done that. At the same time, it made me like him more, but I was cautious too. I thought, what if his wife comes back? But she ultimately agreed to go on a date with him. Quote, he brought me a bottle of white wine and red roses. They then began seeing each other, and she clearly remembered the first time she went to his house. Quote, I went into the bathroom and there were no signs of a woman living there. He joked, you can look under the bed, she's not there. Up until that point, Angela had never stayed the night at his place, and when she asked if she could, he initially agreed, but then found a reason to cancel on many different occasions. But their relationship continued, and they even spoke about moving in together. As it turned out, the first night Angela was to spend at his house was the same day he had killed Marie. Quote, he said he'd pick me up from work at 5.30pm, but texted to say he was rehearsing a Christmas production and was running late. He suggested that I go to my mum and dad's and he'd pick me up from there. By 8pm, he still wasn't there. Angela then kept receiving text messages from him explaining that he was running late. Quote, at 10pm, he said he'd stopped for petrol. Next, he said he'd been stopped by the police and breathalyzed. Finally, about 11pm, he arrived. He sat on the sofa next to my dad and apologised for smelling. He said he'd been dancing around all night and was sweaty. So we now know that he kept delaying having Angela over as he had to clean the crime scene. He explained to her that a stain on the carpet was from one of the children having a nappy accident. She said, quote, He warned me that he smelt, but I just thought it was because he'd been dancing and rehearsing, and he warned me that the house smelt as well. One of the children had had an accident, and he had to clear up when he got back. So once I got to the house, I expected the smell. I expected to see the stains on the carpet. So nothing was untoward. But before they had even arrived at the house, while in the car, his daughter asked for her mum. He said she was always like that when she was tired and asked for Marie before bed. It was the first night I'd spent with her, so I had no idea. He turned to her and said, You're tired, sweetheart. Go to sleep. You know mummy's not here, darling. So Angela spent that night with him in the bedroom where he had murdered Marie. Unaware, she was dead in the garage, and those poor children were also in the house. Then a week later, it was Christmas, and Angela had Christmas lunch with the man at his place, and the children were also there. Quote, 
I wanted to make Christmas special for his children because their mother wasn't around. His daughter said, Mummy helped me decorate the tree. Straight away, he came through the kitchen and said, Oh, don't be silly. Me and you put that tree up. I asked if Marie had sent anything to the children and he said no. He wasn't bothered. He didn't care. It was heart-wrenching that their mum had said nothing. Later on Christmas night, Angela started bleeding as if she were menstruating, but she knew it wasn't her period as she had actually found out a few days earlier that she was pregnant and he was overjoyed when she told him the news. So then when she started bleeding, she thought she was having a miscarriage and she said Blank was very upset. We hugged each other and he had a tear in his eye. He said, my poor baby, I'll never hurt you. I was in a lot of pain and he was very attentive, saying, don't worry, we'll have children at some point. After Christmas, Angela recalled that he had sent her messages saying, quote, that I'd made Christmas so happy for him. Everything felt too good to be true. I was in a big bubble. So when the truth finally came out, Angela was beyond shocked. Quote, when they told me at the police station that he had admitted killing Marie, I was just dazed. I was in complete shock. I said, what? I thought, how could Marie have died? When did she come back? The police said they found a body in the garage. It's strange, but I didn't even consider blank could have done it. Then I hated him. My whole relationship with him flashed before my eyes. It only kicked in later that I had come to terms with the fact that Blank wasn't the man I thought he was. I only found out in the court how he'd killed her. I felt guilty and I wondered if he had killed her because of me. I just felt hatred for him. It was horrendous. I felt so sorry for Marie and the children. It was awful in court. I heard she'd been looking forward to Christmas and that she was a devoted mother. It was so different to the way Blank had described her. Everything that I knew about him was a lie. I felt so sorry for her. Poor Marie. What we know now is that she was a wonderful mother. Knowing I was in that house with Marie's body downstairs makes me feel sick. People say, I must have known he had killed her, but I didn't. I was completely duped by him and feel so desperately sad for Marie and her family. I fell in love with someone else, not that monster. He told me I was amazing, I was beautiful. I actually believed him and thought we would get married. I have a lot of anger towards him for putting me through this and the children too. There was no need for us to be at that house. I've stopped going out. I've had awful nightmares. I remember the night when I first slept over and that was the night he did it, the night he killed Miss Stewart. He's not the person I thought he was. I can never imagine trusting a man again. And here she talks about how he came across around her family and friends. Quote, he would mould himself into exactly what anyone wanted him to be. Around my dad, he was the perfect gentleman. I've got lots of very different friends and he would fit in with all of them. Everyone thought, this guy's great. But when the truth finally came out, Angela then understood the reasons behind some of the strange behaviour he had exhibited. For example, 
when he took her to his place for the first time, she remembered how the route seemed quite complicated and that she'd have trouble finding it herself. But in hindsight, she believed he did this deliberately so that she couldn't just turn up at the house unannounced. At the time, Marie was still alive and was living in the house. And so when he had Angela over, he would hide all of her belongings. Angela remembers, quote, There were no signs of a woman living there. No feminine items in the bathroom or bedroom. No jewellery, clothes, nothing. He could see me nosing around and said, You can look under the bed. She's not there. It was a joke and I laughed. He showed no signs of being nervous. He was relaxed. I didn't open drawers or cupboards. I was convinced. Although their relationship progressed, Angela said he often cancelled nights they had planned together at his house, with very strange excuses. Once his grandmother had died, but then a short time later, he said it was a false alarm, and another time she had supposedly lapsed into a coma. And the man also did other things which Angela came to understand in hindsight. Quote, he never had the heating on, and my nose was always cold. If I turned it on, he'd turn it off and bring blankets out. I assumed he was conscious about the bills. He also always had scented candles lit and started buying them in pink and green, our favourite colours. He had one downstairs, where the door to the garage was. That door was always locked and there was no key. He also had a burner that he'd put eucalyptus oil in, which gave off a really strong smell. So he obviously did all of this, trying to mask any smell from the crime and from Marie herself being in the garage. And then, three weeks after he had been arrested, she received a letter from him. She said, quote, I was shaking, I felt sick. It said he told the police the truth, that he loved me and hadn't wanted to involve me in this mess. He still wanted to get married, although he accepted it was unlikely. He mentioned the Bruno Mars song, Just the Way You Are, which he used to sing to me. It's been so hard emotionally. Angela describes here what it was like during the trial. Quote, that was the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. I looked at him and he smiled. I had to stop myself from crying. I felt repulsed, having to say the things Blank told me about Marie in front of her parents. What they've had to sit through is horrendous. I heard in court that Marie was looking forward to Christmas and was a devoted mother. So different to what Blank had told me. I really feel for Marie's children. That's truly heartbreaking. And if I can support them in any way, I will. So at the man's trial, it was shown that he was a womanizer, leading a double life with a number of lovers, telling all of them that he was a struggling single father whose wife had left him and the children for another man. Before having women at his place, he would make sure to make it look like a bachelor pad, removing all of his wife's things. Among the witnesses was Angela and the other members of the family, but the man himself refused to take the witness stand, which Marie's father later described as being cowardly. However, the police interrogation video was played in the court and transcripts of the text and Facebook messages that he had sent were also provided. In one message, after Marie had supposedly left the family, he used her phone to text a friend of hers saying, 
just want to let everyone know I'm okay, feeling a bit better for being away a bit. My friend is looking after me and I'm safe. And then on Christmas Day, he sent a message to Marie's phone saying, Merry Christmas, gorgeous. Wish you were here. Love you. Hope you are okay. And then just days after the murder, he sent another message to Marie saying, Please come home, baby. I love you so much. Then on their son's birthday, he sent himself a message from her phone saying, Wish my boy a very happy birthday. Tell him his mummy loves him. So after all the evidence was presented, the man's lawyer made the following statement, quote, Blank loved his children and was devoted to them. The killing had not been planned or premeditated. You are entitled to ask whether there is some other explanation for Marie Stewart's death rather than the explanation put forward by the prosecution that he wanted Angela Rylance in his house that night. Once emotion and prejudice are put aside and the evidence examined carefully, there are compelling reasons that Blank is not guilty of murder. However, the jury only took one hour to deliberate, finding the man guilty of murder. Before sentencing, the judge made his summation of the case. Quote, the murder was not planned, but the attack on her was vicious and sustained. You assaulted Marie in bed and tried to throttle her. You used a suitcase to haul her to the living room. She was still alive. I am prepared to suppose, having considered the evidence, she was not conscious. You battered her face with a solid wood chair and you tried to strangle her with a belt. You pulled her to the garage, covered her face in bubble wrap and then inflicted fatal blows with a knife, stabbing her at least eight times. Your children were in the house at the time. I cannot tell why you killed Marie Stewart, still less why you killed her so brutally, whether there was a motive and if so, what it was. I do not accept that you were provoked or suffering prolonged stress. But that evening, you faced a crisis in the double life that you were leading. You had convinced Angela Rylance that you were a single father deserted by your partner and you were committed to having her spend the night at your home. You might have been driven to do what you did because you could not face losing Angela Rylance. It was not the first time that you had seduced other women with such deceit, cunningly trapping them and betraying Marie and your family. I have seen no sign of remorse. Even when eventually you had no choice but to admit killing Marie, you again portrayed yourself as the victim. Your allegations against Marie reached new depths, accusing her of mistreating your own daughter. I am sure that those allegations were without truth, that they were a deliberate and despicable fiction. There is no evidence that they woke before or during the attack, and we can only hope that, mercifully, they did not. Within minutes of the killing, you were cool and calculating enough to send Angela Rylance a text message assuring her that you would collect her to bring her home. The dignity and restraint that they have shown during this trial cannot disguise the enormity of what you have inflicted upon them. The judge then handed down a sentence of 22 years to life in prison. And the judge's final comments 
were about the man's chances of parole. Quote, when you have served your sentence, it will be for others to consider whether it is safe to release you. Those faced with the decision will weigh it carefully. They will be weary of your extraordinary cunning and facility for deceit. They will also reflect upon how someone could be as calm and calculating as you were soon after such a murder. They will consider all the texts that you sent that evening and they will ask themselves whether your mental state can sufficiently be comprehended for it to be safe to release you. And here is what Marie's father had to say after the sentencing. Uh, Firstly, I'd like to uh, thank the jury for reaching, obviously, the correct verdict very quickly. It took away a lot of pain for us. Um, Also like to thank the eloquence of Judge Smith and, in particular, um, Michelle Colborne and her defence, the prosecution team, who were absolutely superb in their, their delivery of the case. It's, uh, it's difficult to imagine a more uh, gut-wrenching experience than to be told that your daughter's body has been found dead uh, in the garage of their family home. Um, it's compounded by the fact that her so-called partner had first killed her in the most violent manner possible and then allowed her body to remain undiscovered for over seven weeks while he continued within this fantasy world. He has lied misled, abused, cheated and stolen from us on a monstrous scale. He uh, delivered an acting masterclass to the world and his his unfortunate female victims and he has painted Marie as a lazy, feckless mother who would abandon her children for a better life. He has stopped at nothing to blacken her name in the very worst imaginable terms. Let me tell you all that he has failed. He's also used his intimate family knowledge to deliver jealous, spiteful and vindictive text messages to me, our family, in a further attempt to both inflict more pain and to throw us off the scent of his evil deceit. He presented and cultivated this image of the perfect father figure whilst juggling affairs with numerous unsuspecting women, often at the same time to further indulge his enormous ego. These were not the actions of a downtrodden and abused man, as he claimed, and he has lied and cheated relentlessly, as well as trying any desperate tactic to save his own skin. He has blighted the lives of his two children forever and caused irreparable pain to us all. It is inconceivable that this man could tell so many lies and cause untold damage to so many people. Failure to take the stand in court shows that he is also a coward of the first order. It saddens me enormously that one day, very soon, his children will want to know just exactly what he did to their mother and that we as a family are left to pick up the consequences of his actions. Marie will live live on in our hearts as a fabulous daughter, sister to Katie and a loving mum to her babies. That's all I wish to say. Thank you very much. And here is some information about what the man has been doing in prison. A friend of his visited him in prison 
and here is what he said, quote, He described his job as being the best in the prison. He told people he was working in the library and claimed he could do people favours, which made him popular with loads of the inmates. It is typical of him to be bragging about prison already. So now that you've heard the story, there is really nothing that I can say about this man. There are no words that can adequately describe this pathetic man. But I just can't get over how he left Marie in the garage. She was only found by the police. So how long had he intended to keep her there? It had been two months. Did he really think that no one would find her? I'm sure we've all heard other crime stories of people burying murder victims on their properties or, on their, or in their backyards or keeping them in freezers, but I've never heard of someone keeping a body in a house for that long, especially as the house wasn't empty. The children were there and Angela had come over. How did no one smell anything? I don't think the candles or any air fresheners really would have made much of a difference but I did hear that the house was three stories, so perhaps the garage was on the bottom level. And what about the children? Thankfully, they didn't witness the murder, but what happened to them? Perhaps Marie's parents then raised them. They were just so young when it happened, but how would they come to terms with what happened to their mother when they were old enough to understand it's just beyond belief that that man was an educator? And now let's preview the next episode. It's called skin suit. A person's remains were found in a river. Who were they? And to end this episode, I will leave you with this quote. A real man ends a relationship before he starts searching for another one. Bye for now and remember to be a good apple.